Hello and welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about the future of the retail IT channel with two special guests. Rick Fueling is the CEO of Right Enterprises, a barn in Sartell, Minnesota, that's northwest of the Twin Cities, and he's also the CEO of Cloud Retailer, a hybrid cloud POS system for independent merchants. Rick has been an RSP member for nine years, and in 2018 was recognized as a rising star by the RSPA's next-gen community. Rick, thanks for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jim. Oh, glad you're here. Uh, and also, our second guest is David Gosman. He's the Global Hospitality Segment Manager at HP and is the former CEO of Point of Sale Software Developer PC America. He's been an active member of the RSP for 15 years, recently completing his sixth year on the RSP Board of Directors. And at Retail Now 2019, he was named RSPA Chair-Elect. Congratulations and great to talk with you, David. Thanks, Jim. Looking forward to the dialogue. Uh, you, me too. Uh, that makes two of us, and I guess three of us, if we, assuming that Rick is uh, excited <laughs> nope, about this. I'm not, well. a, not on board. Not on board. <laughs> You'll have to warm up to it. Is that what it'll be? Time will tell. Yeah, yeah we'll we'll get there. Well, before we get to our questions, our audience might be wondering why we're featuring two guests instead of a more traditional one-on-one -on -one interview that you hear on other podcasts. And here's why. The biggest strength of the RSP is the community and the partnerships that can be forged, and sometimes where you least expect them. So that's what we're going to do on many of the episodes of The Trusted Advisor, is show the RSPA community in action by having guests share their unique perspectives and see where the conversation takes us. This is what happens every day among RSPA members, and we thought it'd be interesting to share that with you. All right, let's rock and roll. So my first question, you know, our topic today is about the future of the retail IT channel, so we can take this in pretty much any direction. But let's start from a technology standpoint. What technology or technologies do you think VARs and ISVs in the retail IT channel need to pay attention to most over the next 18 to 24 months? So more of the short term. So what do you think will have a significant impact? And Rick, if you can go first and then David follow up afterwards. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, in the next two years, uh, a shift that's going to occur is um, the end customer's expectations are, are, are going to significantly change in terms of the technology that, that they're using at stores. So, um, you know, I went to Home Depot this weekend. I, I was telling David about some projects I got going on and uh, I didn't get my receipt emailed and I was a little frustrated by that. And, you know, that's an example of a technology that right now is a nice to have, but I think as uh, over, you know, the next couple of years, things like that are not gonna be optional anymore. Being able to pay with your phone at the store won't be optional. Um, customers being able to get feedback on their on their purchase, or you know, even an independent merchant having a fully functional omni-channel website, you know, being able to see what is in stock at the store. I think in the next two years, these things are going to become no longer uh, optional. Got it. So it's not so much some unbelievable technology. You're talking about some of these fundamental things have to be in every single retail establishment. Correct. Yep, exactly. Rick, what are you seeing? Uh, I'm sorry, David, what are you seeing uh, for the next uh, 18 to 24 months? Yeah, you know, I think it's actually building off um, Rick's point a little bit. 
And you know, maybe I'll actually uh, open up a little anecdote or story here is that I work in right now, our Latin American team is bringing up about 15 um, big customers from throughout Latin America that wanna see some of the big innovations happening in retail in the US, um, focusing in New York City. So while I was scouting out a bunch of different sites, and it's a really eye-opening experience just looking at all these different modern retailers, um, I happened to be sitting in some little kind of quick service, you know, health-oriented fast food restaurant. I noticed that people were coming in, grabbing some random meals off a shelf, scanning a barcode that was attached to the shelf and walking out. Um, and that kind of really makes you pay attention to the fact that customers, if we look at the restaurant world, have very different expectations now versus a few years ago. Um, so we're seeing this plethora of third-party ordering systems and third-party delivery services that um, I think there's certainly pros and cons to those services um, for the restaurants. There's very big fees tied to it and there's issues with ownership of customer data, but it's very obvious watching that experience and reading all the news out there that restaurants are really reliant on these kind of operations happening inside of the restaurant um, to the point where I'm sure they're reaching out to their point of sale providers and saying, are you able to enable this functionality for me or do I need to go find somebody else that will? Um, so I think the consumer expectations are driving restaurants to desire different technology and the good bars need to make sure they're keeping up with it. Um, a second area that also involves customer experience and maybe um, also builds in some of the retail side as well is the whole aspect of mobility. So, you know, Jim, we've been in this industry, well, all three of us have for so many years, and we see a lot of things like RFID and mobility that are talked about as the next big thing and it'll explode in the next year, and they don't. Um, and some of these technologies need two or three times of, you know, really coming to light before they take off. Uh, mobility has definitely had an impact. There's no doubt about it. But I feel like over the next couple of years, mobility, because of the desire to have personalization built into the experience and the ability to arm your associates working in your business with the same or better information than your customers have, mobility is becoming more necessary than ever. Got it. And welcome, uh, David, is that your dog uh, who's welcome to the podcast here today? That would be Mason. I'll try the strategic use of the mute button for him. Wonderful. No, no worries at all. Happen to have, happen to, happy to have Mason uh, join us. Can you expand a little bit on that third-party challenge that you're talking about? Is that what resellers need to do is say, maybe I don't need to have all this capability, but I need to know what all the capabilities are and then do some partnering? Uh, how are resellers going to navigate that? And then I'll ask Rick, a reseller, how does he plan on navigating that? Is that a big challenge for him? Yeah, so I'll jump in and say, oh, I'm sorry, Rick, go on. No, to David first, please. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a lot of it is really TBD. So a lot of these services, um, you know, if you take Uber Eats, for example, and um, I forget if Lyft calls there as Eats as well, but the Lyft service and Postmates and all these other different services in both restaurants and retail, they've kind of created these services and are trying to go direct to the business. But what they found out pretty quickly was that, you know, if you have to have five different tablets so you can feed in orders from five different systems that are sitting on the counter, it becomes a bit of a mess. And you have some other companies that have now cropped up and said, hey, we're going to take all these disparate data feeds and integrate them into the POS. So you can go down to one or zero extra devices. Um, that is an opportunity for the reseller to either do the integrations themselves, work with their ISVs to do the integrations, um, or perhaps even approach some of these vendors and partner with them. Um, so I think there's opportunity there, but it's it's kind of a very explosive industry right now that isn't fully established, even though it's already very busy. Um, so hopefully there's opportunity to make margin, but at least there's opportunity for differentiation. So when you walk into a restaurant, you don't just say I have a POS system, 
you say, I have a POS system that'll integrate in five or six different services that are, are very highly used locally to help you get more business, and I'll make your process more efficient versus all these different tablets. Got it. Great. And Rick, before you answer that question in terms of how you see this impacting, can you explain to our audience, you know, are you in both retail and restaurants, more one than the other, just so they know what perspective you're coming from? Yeah. So we are, we're retail guys, 100%. We don't do anything in hospitality. Okay. But, but I still think, you know, that, that, that um, it's still a valid question because there's lots of add-on services or, you know, pretty high tech startups that are offering, you know, something to our and uh, our customers or their customers. Uh, and that impacts the POS. So, David, you know, you said the magic word in my mind in terms of how I evaluate who we're going to partner with. And that's uh, differentiation. You know, um, is is the person that we're looking with uh, looking at, you know, do they offer us some kind of unique, protectable, competitive differentiation? You know, um, and is it is it uh, valuable to my customers? And thirdly, you know, is there is there a profit opportunity in that? So competitive differentiation, that's like the first thing that enters my mind. Got it. And what are some of the things, I guess, Rick, that you're seeing that, I'm going to say you have to keep up with the Joneses, but that other folks are providing that's giving them a differentiation? Is it technology? Is it service? Is it all of the above? What are some of the biggest things that you're seeing uh, that are, you know, differentiating your competitors or that you're striving to differentiate from? Um, well, uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of turbulence in the POS industry on the retail side. Um, you know, there's some big forces affecting our customer base, whether it's people like Amazon or regulatory changes. That's a huge thing. Uh, and really, uh, where we're hearing the most of the chatter is not really coming from our what has have traditionally been our competitors it's been from you know some of these third party providers who are talking to our customers they're a technology but they're not necessarily point of sale for example third party uh, analytics companies um you know and, and how does that impact us and is there what's our opportunity look like and you know how do we make sure that we stay relevant and involved uh so yeah. yeah, I remember I remember talking to a different reseller in the Midwest and they were saying I used to pitch against the same four or five guys like every deal we were going head to head with them. Now I see who the bid is out to who they're talking to. He said two companies I've never even heard of before. Like it's hard to pitch right. against that because you don't know uh, exactly who they are and, and what they do. So, well, gentlemen, thanks and, for talking and, about the, the Oh, go ahead, Rick. And three out of those four guys are gone. You know, the original four. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's interesting. Right, yeah. They're not bidding on anything anymore. They ended up working for somebody else. Uh, so thank you for talking about the next 18 to 24 months. David, I'll let you, uh, I'll ask you this question that you can really say almost anything up until teleportation. Uh, look beyond two years. And what's caught your eye from a technology standpoint that you think is going to have a big impact uh, on the channel? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think um, will have an impact in the future on the channel. It's hard to say exactly when, um, especially because the channel serves smaller businesses, which sometimes it's harder for them to innovate. Sometimes it's easier, but in these technologies, I think it's harder. Um, so the first off is that there's a whole bunch of artificial intelligence um, related products that are hitting the market right now. 
one of the, I think the most visible ones out there is the whole Amazon Go type store, right? So they're really, I wouldn't say they're eliminating point of sale. They're eliminating the registers at the checkout experience. It doesn't mean that there isn't still checkout operating behind the scenes. Um, a lot of that is powered by computer vision, which is then powered by uh, artificial intelligence to figure out what you're picking up, how much it costs, and guiding that whole experience. So I do think you're going to see smaller businesses that desire that type of experience, especially as customers want a better experience in the store and minimum wage continues to go up and up and it'll make more of a challenge for stores. So um, things like that or in the restaurant world, you know, you see McDonald's are, is actually buying up technology companies right now and becoming a technology company. They're doing things like recognizing who's driving up to the drive through Are they male or female? Is there kids in the back? What kind of car is it? And they're offering different products in their digital menu board versus, you know, what might be there for the customer before them. So yeah, that's it's really fascinating that these technologies aren't just being tried out in a couple of pilot stores. They're actually being rolled out by certain people right now. Um, so I think that eventually over time, SMBs will want that same technology. And these are complicated technologies that bars can actually make money on um, once they master them. So I think there's really I think there's a huge amount of opportunity uh, going that direction in the future. Okay, good. So AI, Rick, uh, what do you see uh, on the horizon two years and beyond? Yeah, so I mean, it's maybe my initial response isn't a direct kind of technology thing, but in the next five years, I think we see a recession and um, again, some major pendulum swing in terms of regulation. And I think that's gonna create opportunities for um, small merchants I don't think that the landscape's gonna look the same. And I think as a result, that's gonna have a major impact on the technology. Anybody who newly comes into the into that business is gonna have expectations and so are their customers about the type of technology that they're using. Um, so I think that'll be very interesting. You know, specifically, um, you know, David, you posted an article on LinkedIn the other day about robots in Walmart, right? So like automation. And I don't necessarily mean it, that it has to be robots in the aisle. It's something as simple as electronic data interchange, you know, moving data between suppliers and retailers for the sake of automation. You know, this is another example of something that is somewhat novel right now, or if you use it, great. If you don't, no problem. I think these things are gonna become requirements. And, and David said, you know, uh, minimum wage going up the tight job market too. I mean, there's just so many reasons to become more efficient. Um, I think some things that are, you know, have caught my attention again, when it'll happen, who knows? Um, but, you know, Facebook and Libra, for example, you know, it's cryptocurrency, but imagine if Facebook could serve up an ad, send somebody into the store who pays with Facebook's cryptocurrency and Facebook can track and own that entire process from start to finish. Or another example, and this goes to the hospitality industry a little bit, I mean, it would affect retail as well, but I mean, self-driving cars are, you know, I think that's a five or so year deal. I mean, a, you can have a pretty, a, a Tesla that drives itself pretty well now, but think about what that does to delivery, okay? And I don't mean that we'll do more delivery. I actually think maybe less of that'll happen. If I want to drive 30 minutes to go to a restaurant and I have a car that'll take me there and I can plan my phone on the way, you know, that is more of an incentive to do that than to have it delivered and I can go out and have that experience. I, and I think experiential hospitality and 
retail, I think that's going to continue to be uh, a really, really big thing. I'm not just selling you something. I'm selling you an experience along with that something. Yeah, so you guys, the whole driver, go ahead, David. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you bring up the whole driving, self-driving car aspect too, because that might enable some businesses, but it might also um, kill some businesses too. So, you know, if you think right now, if I'm going to do a six-hour road trip up to um, see a family member, when I drive along the road, I'm usually stopping at a couple of restaurants or, or whatever it may be along the way to get coffee, food. Well, if I can program my car to just drive me there and I can go ahead and pass out and take a nap um, when we're confident with the technology, what happens to all those road trip type businesses too in the future? So I think that um, you really have to pay attention as a VAR too, what your territory is and where there's going to be businesses in the future and where there's not going to be businesses and see if you need to adjust your geography accordingly um, and plan that in advance. So uh, talk about that challenge. So we've, you guys talked about AI, you talked about automation, even talked about Facebook cryptocurrency, right? Like, so David, you've worked with a lot of resellers over the years. How does Avara stay on top of all that? Like how, what do they need to do now in order to be ready or a step ahead so they don't get beat by somebody else? That seems like an immense challenge when they're already you know, up to their neck taking care of their customers. You know, it's uh, it's funny because I often get quoted for telling people to watch more sci-fi during my presentations. Um, because if you look at, I think another huge trend, probably a little more than four years out, will be 3D printing a lot of your products and food. Not so different than how Star Trek replicates them on their ships, right? So um, nice. that's always nice. good inspiration right there for the future. But, you know, I think it's really just the ability to read a lot of articles, <laughs> talk to a lot of colleagues, and be willing to actually go play with technology. There, You know, the good thing about the point of sale industry is you have a lot of people that love tech and are willing to experiment with it. Um, and also go see it in action in the early stores. Um, when I mentioned earlier on that I'm going around this, you know, arranging this store tour, you're seeing a lot of technology that may be adopted or may not be adopted on a wide basis. But if you don't go and check it out and play with it, you don't learn. Um, even the Amazon Go type experience, um, you know, it's, I always tell people, because I've, I've been to a few of their stores now, I know I knew exactly what the technology does before I walked in the door because we read about this stuff every day. And I'll tell you that euphoric moment when I walked out of the store, I was like, wow, even knowing it was coming, I just felt like that was really cool. The shopping experience right there. Um, if you don't try it yourself, then you don't necessarily become motivated to learn it and you don't necessarily really understand all the human elements and the technology elements behind it. So I'd say just experiment. Okay. Rick, what's your take on that, and what are you doing to stay up to speed uh, on all these different trends that might or might not happen, and who knows when? Yeah, um, well, like David said, read a lot, go try it when possible. Um, uh, you know, my advice to the folks out there, and I'll expand on it a little bit later with some of the other questions, but uh, align yourself with the right partners as well, because like you said, Jim, you can't do everything yourself. God, it's a very important that you get the right partners and that you lean on them. You don't have to do everything yourself because distributors and vendors are supplying a lot more these days than before. Here's a product. Good luck. Go get them, Tiger. Uh, there's a lot more services Correct. that they're providing. Yep. Got it. Uh, a couple other things that you guys mentioned I just wanted to expand upon. There's a reseller in the Southeast. I remember him saying, uh, our company has been really good at identifying the trends that are going to happen. We just have no idea when. And then we don't know to what degree. And that seems to be a massive challenge all of us have. We're not going to be able to answer that uh, on the podcast. And I'll also say you mentioned McDonald's um, and their drive-through technology. So, David, I think I'm going to t – I don't go to McDonald's very often. So I'm a vegetarian, but uh, we had a festival at downtown Erie 
my wife and daughter went to a Starbucks to get something. I went into the McDonald's there. Like I hadn't been in McDonald's in probably a couple of years. Like I said, I'm a vegetarian. They don't sell a, you know, impossible burger, Big Mac uh, for me yet. But I go in there and a fist fight almost broke out because the service was too slow and the point of sale system wasn't tracking properly. And I actually walked out of there because these two guys were going at it. Like, you want to go? You want to go? Let's take this outside. I'm like, I'm going to race to there first. And so uh, it seems like the technology can get in the way, but if there's things that, uh, that folks can do to avoid and have it be brought to them, or like you said, get that great drive-through technology, it's going to be even better. It seems like folks are, I want to say detaching themselves, but they're having more of an experience with the retailer or the restaurant as they are with other people. I guess that seems to be a trend that's happening as well. They interact more with the technology or a kiosk uh, or a website or an app rather than another human being. Are you guys seeing that as well? Uh, so I would say I'm seeing that, but I'm not seeing that. And it really depends on the business. I think um, I maybe I'll use a part of the self checkout analogy here. So how many, you know, if you're in Home Depot, for example, or, or supermarkets, there's a lot of times where that self checkout technology can be incredibly frustrating to use. So, you know, you have to like take the item off the scale, put it back on. And um, this is coming from someone who's been in point of sale for 20 years, so over 20 years, and I still have problems using those systems quite frequently. That's an example where you put technology in and you've really subtracted from the customer experience and they haven't done anything with that staff except lay them off, right? They haven't, you know, done anything useful there. Um, but there's ways to tastefully do it. There's ways where you can have, you know, self-ordering systems that are there. So for the customers that want, know it and want to get through fast, they get through fast. And you can redeploy your labor to either get food out faster or go and greet people and see if they need help with the technology or suggest their personal favorite meal um, te you know, technology should be used as an enabler. All, all too often, it's not. And I think that's a really important theme that I always talk to retail and hospitality businesses about. Um, and some do well with it, and, and some, quite frankly, don't. Yeah, they can fumble the ball and do technology for technology's sake. Yeah. Uh, let's. Uh, I would. Oh, go ahead, Rick. I just add a quick comment. So in a lot of ways, I'd parallel what what David just said. I disagree a little bit, though. I mean, I love I love self checkout. The way I look at it is where do you have human beings in a position where they can add value? So going back to Home Depot, man, I'm using the self-checkout. If I can, I get out of there faster. Um, and the person at the counter scanning barcodes doesn't add a lot of value in, in my book. Now, in the aisle, when I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, put a footer in sand properly, heck yeah, give me an employee. That, I want to talk to a human being. That's value. Uh, so there's my perspective. Got it. Thank you. So we started talking about technology. Now let's talk about business strategy. So uh, we published a post on the RSP blog that was titled VARS Understand Strategic Durability and then Revamp Your Business Plan. And so that post says essentially there are two paths forward for VARS. One path is stop selling to micro merchants and focus on the SMB or large chain merchants. So that's one avenue. The other one is run very lean internally, meaning maximize automation, minimize staff size, and then you can sell predominantly into a niche vertical. I guess, Rick, we'll start with you. What's your take on that? Do you see that those are the two paths? Are there additional paths? Are there different paths? And feel free to disagree with me if you like. Sure. So I, there might be different paths, but I think you prescribed, you know, two solid paths. I mean, it's one that we prescribe to ourselves. So, I mean, I think both of what you've said are niche. You know, it's just... Either way, you're tailoring either to a large organization or to a vertical industry. Um, 
I think niche is going to become more and more important uh, to VARs and ISVs um, because it's going to be more and more important to your customers. If your technology does not give them a competitive edge in the specific industry that they serve, then, you know, good luck trying to be all things to all people. That's, that's my take. Got it. David. Yeah, so I mean, I have a couple of perspectives on the paths that you mentioned, and also I would say maybe even an additional path. Um, and they're kind of you know yes or no. So the micro merchant space is hard, and I would say arguably become the most commoditized um, size of merchant with a lot of um, these online and you know payment processor backed systems that are out there. Um, but at the end of the day, service hasn't been commoditized. Good genuine service hasn't truly been commoditized as much as these companies like to say they have. So there still is money to be made at micro merchants, but I think the important thing is that you monetize it via recurring revenue um, and payments. So as you capture these merchants, you don't need to necessarily be reselling them a service contract every year, which takes a lot of time. I think that's an important piece. Um, and if you're not capable of doing that, micro merchants just might not be the right fit for you. Um, and I think you also mentioned, Jim, the running lean aspect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, embracing automation. Right. And so I'm a little mixed on that, but I would say overall, um, I'll give you an example again. So um, my, my good friend and um, retired colleague, uh, Mark Olson, who was until recently the president of APG Castro, I got a tour of their plan at one point in time, which is pretty automated, but obviously as humans to do the things that are, you know, require a human and are a little, you know, more difficult and require that skill. And one of the last things he showed me during the tour was a dumpster in the back. Um, it's a recycling dumpster where they had pieces of sheet metal, small pieces of sheet metal. Why did he show that to me? And it was actually a good lesson that I probably took a little while to remember. You know, he was mentioning there that they're, they're basically their excess sheet metal, which costs them money. Every little piece they throw out means they didn't actually use it, you know, um, in order to build a caster over there. So the theme there is that he had it to a really, really, really small amount, right? So like, I, I don't remember the exact number, maybe it was 1% of the steel they brought in is actually put into the excess bin out the back. And he said, our next goal is to reduce that by 10%. Um, a good business leader needs to make sure that their organization is running as lean as it possibly can at all times, um, regardless if you're small or big or good or bad business owner. Um, that being said, it doesn't mean you shouldn't have bandwidth in place for innovation and exploration, but you have to have the right size team for that. Um, I would say I personally learned the hard way at PC America when the Great Recession hit um, that we were kind of forced to you know, run lean um, when we had not been doing that previously. I, I think another path that business owners can follow as well is to maybe look into adding services. And um, Rick actually put it perfect um, earlier in the conversation when he said, you know, hey, you know, what vendors can I partner with? What can they bring to my business? Um, so you already have existing customers. And if you have existing customers, what more can you sell to them? You don't necessarily need to look out at getting a whole bunch of new customers to grow your business or make it more sustainable. You need to make sure that you can also find complementary things that you can offer to those customers um, that help you, them rely on you more and also help you drive in more revenue. Got it. Thank you for that. And so, Rick, uh, David brought up, you know, something about at all times, you need to be running lean at all times. And so is that how you view it as well? It's not just, ooh, when times are tough or when the, you know, you guys have both mentioned recession. It's not only during a recession. You're always running lean and mean as a, you know, but when you're innovation, you try to innovate. But there's no time to waste money or waste materials, as Dave brought up 
in the example. Is that a key lesson you think for uh, anybody listening to our podcast here? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to throw money in the trash can. On the other hand, we do a lot of experimentation here. And, you know, if you, if you ride that line too hard, like every penny is going to be saved, I feel like you're going to strangle your employees, your team's willingness to try things and take some risks. We have to be responsible. You know, money's not growing on trees for sure. On the other hand, um, you know, if there's a trade-off to be made for a responsible amount of money that's wasted on a failed experiment in pursuit of a better way or growth, then, you know, so be it. So you've got to be a little careful uh with uh pushing that but obviously absolutely everywhere that you can you can uh you can save you should yeah, no, yeah i hundred percent agree there um what i was saying Brunley, i'm definitely a big believer in investment i think it's google that lets their employees spend 10 percent of their time on experimentation and when i say run lean it doesn't mean cut back on that it just yeah. means you have to understand right. um where you want to cut back on so if you only need you know a maximum of five service technicians and you're employing eight, you know, you're probably not, you know, gauging all your metrics properly um, to, to be the most responsible for your business. And of course, paying employees, I'd say fairly and paying them well means you have retention. So it doesn't mean skidding back what they get paid or what they have. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you've got to have the right people in place and the right number of people. Right. It has to be efficient be and effective. And, you know, it's got to right. be both of those things. You can't just cut all the way back. And people are an investment because oftentimes if you get high caliber employees, you don't have to hire as many average employees because those high caliber ones are, are the ones who are making up for it. Rick, uh, last point on this, please. Uh, we're good. You said it perfectly. Got it. Good. I stole it mental telepathy right, right there. Hey, we're going to pause here for a moment to let our, let our listeners know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSP recently expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year. Can you guess how much that is a day? Can you do the math real quick? 68 cents a day for these high-value services. It wasn't a game show. I just was trying to see if you guys could jump in and figure it out. Uh, without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you'll end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. For more information, visit www.gorspa.org. And don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry me. So thank you for that break, gentlemen. A few more questions for you. Um, what mistakes do you see resellers making today that doesn't prepare them for the future? I guess, David, if we can go with you first, um, what are you seeing from that standpoint, whether it's little mistakes or even it could be a colossal mistake that uh, resellers are making that isn't paving their way for a more profitable future? Yeah, I think one of the mistakes I often see out there from a lot of businesses is that they don't necessarily keep in touch with their customers. And, you know, that can really be a big, you know, bad thing for your business because your current customers should continue to be your customers. So, you know, if you have a business out there that goes and installs the system and, you know, it's it seems like it's working and maybe it is working fine. 
um, but they don't constantly, not, not every day, but get in front of their customers in different ways. It could be an in-person visit or a phone call. It could be sending out a weekly newsletter so their brand is, is visible and relevant. Um, then it's possible their customers may forget um, some of the benefit of working with that reseller. And you know, it's funny because if they're having a lot of problems and the reseller fixes them, they actually might be very visible to the customer and really appreciate it. The customer that doesn't have any issues might almost in a way not appreciate the reseller as much because they don't ever hear from them. Um, so that I think is a really big piece of advice. And even when things are going good, get in front of them. Um, you know, I like the idea of, you know, for example, you can send your customer like, you know, let's say they've placed no service calls in six months, which is great for the customer and it's great for the reseller. Send them a little gift and say like, you know, thank you for being customer. Hey, by the way, you're six month problem free. Because that'll trigger that thought in that customer's head like, wow, I have been problem free. This reseller did a good job. Um, so I think that's an area of, of opportunity for a lot of resellers. And especially if your customers are on recurring revenue, you need to keep those customers happy. You might be automatically getting paid, but they have to consistently see who you are and the value of that. Got it. Great. David, Rick, uh, what's your take on mistakes that you see resellers making? I wouldn't say it's as much a mistake as a vulnerability, but, you know, in the last two years, I've seen and heard, you know, many horror stories of uh, resellers having the rug get pulled out from under them. Um, you know, I've, I, have a, I have a friend in the industry who had a credit card processing portfolio that was, it was significant. It was huge amounts of money. And uh, I think the company was having some, I don't know, financial or cutback issues and uh, loophole in the contract allowed them to stop paying that residual just spot completely spontaneously. Uh, and they really had no, they had no recourse, it sounded like. Um, so the recommendation, you know, the first one is, is easy. You know, if you're an RSPA member, uh, you need to have Bob, Bob Goldberg on, uh, on speed dial. You know, he's the lawyer for the RSPA, super good guy, sharp guy. Your contracts need to need to protect you. And I think a lot of people, especially smaller shops, they get that contract from one of their partners and they, they just sign it and move on. And, um, you know, when they get acquired by Fiserv or whoever, you know, the rules of the game, you know, the people you're working with before might not be there anymore. The second thing that kind of parallels with this is... Um, and I, I think, I hope that we see a lot of this in the industry, but you find ways to partner, to create, to have relationships with ISVs or whoever, where you get some kind of skin in the game. What's good for the company making the product you sell has to be good for you. Um, you know, uh, Hunter Allen and his group acquiring uh, equity in Cinetouch. Yeah, I think that's magical. You know, a bunch of really good resellers taking an equity stake in the ISV that they're, that they're going to push. I think that's, that's super cool. So um, we're going to keep our eye on that, you know, as we engage the channel with our product, you know, it's something that's definitely in our mind. So uh, as a reseller, you've got to find partners that are truly willing to align with you. And so the things that you guys mentioned uh, fall back to two key principles. Like you said, um, uh, David, about staying close to your customers. I've always said there's no substitute for a competent person getting closer to a situation, right? So at a certain distance, you're gonna be wrong or you're not gonna have the right information. So you've gotta make sure you get close however you do that. And then to your point, Rick, um, we talked earlier about saving money. You don't cut back on legal advice. 
right? You don't say, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go, you know, get something. This guy's local or he's a friend of mine. You don't do that with legal advice. You don't do that with surgeons either, right? You know, why'd you go to that surgeon? Well, they were cheaper. I had a coupon. Like that is a major problem. And too many times people look to cut expenses there as opposed to uh, somewhere else. So two kind of two business principles. Let me throw it out to you guys as well. You talked about other people making mistakes. We've all three of us have run small businesses uh, at times, our own uh, businesses. What mistakes have you made or what's a big mistake that you made running your business that you kind of wish you could you could do over? Rick, why don't you take this one first? Um, sure. So, uh, you know, there's so many. The list is so long. Um, but one one lesson that I think is something a lot of people could benefit from hearing is that, uh, you know, I, I think I waited too long to build out repeatable processes. You know, at the time, I viewed us as safe, you know, when there was four of us a long time ago. Uh, and it's like you can read each other's minds. Like, what do I need a written process or procedure for? That was my time. That was my thinking at the time. Like, try to go get the new, the next deal or get something done. But I think that was a mistake uh, that hindered our ability to grow. And even if you're, even if growth isn't or isn't your number one priority, like it is for us right now, um, if you want to go on a vacation and you're a four-man crew, it, it's easier <laughs> when you've got well-established repeatable processes so that would be some advice all right good rick david yeah so you know i guess if i look back at the pc america days one mistake that i i think um we made and it's not completely unique to an isv um but somewhat maybe is i think that we supported or we offered too many third-party products um we integrated to every payment processor out there we worked with almost every many like known major manufacturer of hardware um, and it was opportunistic. We, we did a lot of those interfaces to capture, I would say, some short-term revenue or short-term deals. But we learned the hard way that there was a very long-term legacy carrying cost um, to support those things on an ongoing basis. Because you may have a, you know, those few customers that you captured and had a great month. Well, now you've got to keep that interface live for the next five years. Um, so what was a great short-term investment was a legacy cost that was ultimately not profitable in some cases. Um, long term. So that was a lesson for us. And I think it's relevant to VARS too. If you're really servicing, you know, hardware or software, if you have too many things in your portfolio, um, it, it just might not be a good idea unless you really have thought it out for the long term. We we call that wind resistance here. We try to avoid that at all costs. Uh, what do you call it wind resistance? Can you explain that a little bit more? David probably can empathize, but every time you, you tack something like that on, it drags you down. You are not as streamlined as you were before. Your, your gas mileage goes down. You want to talk about conserving or being lean? You know, support a product, you, something you built out or tailored for one customer one time five years ago. And you're, you know, where's the guy who originally did that? Oh, he, you know, he's not on the team anymore. Well, somebody else has to figure it out, et cetera, et cetera. Not fun. And that's kind of the allure of a startup, right? And startups are always called agile because they don't have any customers and they don't have any, you know, legacy stuff out there to support. So of course they're by nature going to be more agile until they start winning some customers and then, you know, they turn into a traditional company. Yeah. And so you guys, thank you for sharing those, uh, the mistakes. The one that I'll share and Rick might be able to guess what it is, is uh, hiring the wrong people. 
And so when I was self-employed, like I was just the least worst person who showed up or the cheapest person. And that's the salespeople who I had hired. And uh, the one never sold anything, then asked for an advance on his pay. I, of course, like needed a salesperson. So I give him an advance on his pay and never heard from him again. And so I learned my lesson the hard way uh, in those terms. You really got to raise the level of the people that you hire. And David, do you know how Rick and I met? Have you ever heard that story about how Rick and I first crossed paths? Do I want to hear the story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has to do with hiring. So I published a book, uh, I guess it was eight years ago, um, called, called Hire Like You Just Beat Cancer, about hiring uh, best practices. And so sold it on Amazon. And so I would look and see, you know, what my sales were on Amazon. And I got a review. And it's by some guy named Rick F. And I'm like, I don't know anybody named Rick. Like, who is this? And this very nice review about the book. And I'm like, I, you know, I couldn't track the person down. And then it was at the RSPA. Uh, I think it was the new member reception or right before the welcome reception. And Rick comes up to me and says, hey, I'm the guy who left your Amazon review. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it was so great. You know, it's one of those funny things. Like when you're, if you're a stand-up comedian, people are going to applaud or boo or say nothing and know the instant reaction. You buy a book, you're just kind of like, I don't know. You know, you, you, you write a book. And so if to have somebody leave, you know, a favorable review and then Rick come up and see me, it was a great thing, both, uh, you know, both in the industry and all that stuff. So I've always been indebted to Rick just for that one gracious thing that he did for me. Good, good deal. But we... We still use your process for hiring, and I, w I would genuinely recommend that book. Hiring is not easy, and uh, that's a great resource. I appreciate that, and I'll also say for RSPA members, we have all sorts of um, uh, other resources that I'm able to provide for them in addition to the book and all sorts of uh, employee hiring process and uh, interview uh, lists and assessment tools and things like that. Happy to give direction on that if folks want to want to work out. So we've only got a few minutes left. Um, let me ask this question. So let's talk about your leadership journeys. And so at RSPA Inspire in 2015, uh, Chip Heath uh, was a speaker and he and his brother Dan wrote a great book called The Power of Moments. And David, I'll ask you this first. Can you point to a moment in your life or your career that was a turning point or a catalyst for you? Yeah, so I would say it was probably buying my company. Um, so it was a family-owned company um, owned by my father as well as his business partner. And, and me and my business partner bought the company. And, you know, so we finished the transaction and then we go deliver the news to the employees and, you know, some people are sad and everything else. And then the prior owners leave. And there we are sitting in front of a baker's dozen number of employees right there thinking, oh my God, I have to figure out how to pay you and feed your kids and it's just a wow moment. And it's kind of like a make or break moment. You know, I had a lot of ideas that I always tried to push, you know, up the chain at the company prior, but now I was ultimately responsible for delivering them and for dealing with failures and everything else. And um, that, that just matures you as a business person, like in seconds. And it was stressful, but it was energizing. It was scary, but it was exciting. And, and that it just, forces you to learn new skills and, and basically overnight. So that would definitely be, I'd say, one of my biggest like catalysts right there um, to, you know, my career and my yeah, life. The owner, the owner of Jameson Publishing would tell the steering committee meeting. So Jameson Publishing published Business Solutions Magazine. I worked there for almost 18 years and he would say, this is not a drill. This is real. The decisions <laughs> we make will impact people's lives. Like pay attention, take it seriously. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying there. Rick, uh, what was the catalyst for you? What was a big moment for you in your career? Uh, so that uh, that exhilaration David mentioned, uh, you know, I feel privileged that uh, in my job, I I feel that, uh, uh, you know, daily, weekly, very often. But, you know, I would say one of the major turning points for us is we, we started out solely as a VAR. We're a VAR ISV now, um, you know, selling Microsoft RMS. We did very well with that. And obviously, there's huge amounts of turbulence in our industry. And, um, you know, the kind of writing on the wall that Microsoft was going to start exiting the small, medium retail space, um, we decided to make our own point of sale product, you know, it's just five or six years ago now. Um, but that was a pretty monumental shift for us, obviously. I, I would say in terms of the thinking, though, one of the things that, you know, I would encourage, you know, people watching this uh, to to think about their business the same way. You know, we stopped thinking about how are we gonna close the next deal and make more money uh, to how are we going to increase the value of our business? What is what, what is what we're about to do next to the decision we're gonna make? How is that gonna impact the value of our business? Uh, and David, that goes back to your kind of comments about, you know, let's let's be opportunistic and support some new integration in order to close this deal. You know, what does that do to the value of your business? So I think that was a major uh, turning point for us. Got it. Interesting mindset. So my last two questions for you guys are, are quick. So first, can you recommend for our audience a book to read or a podcast to listen to that's going to help them in their leadership journey and their, their business journey? David, first, please. I'm going to recommend Have You Hired Like You Just Beat Cancer by Jim Roddy. <laughs> It really is a fantastic book, actually. I've read it as well, and I, I have an autographed copy, which is pretty cool. It's up on eBay if you want it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, you know, beyond that, I, I'll go back to not a specific book or podcast, but I'm going to go back to my sci-fi reference. I, you know, I'm known for saying it a bunch of times, but um, one of the presentations I give, I actually cite this whole scenario, and I'll go quickly through it, um, but where this um, two couple of people are caught on video going into a restaurant that actually has fully automated ordering in front. There's no people. So they go in, they sit down, they have trouble with the system, but they, they eventually get their order placed and the food gets delivered by a robot. Um, and this is all captured on video and they're not happy with their order. So they can't find anybody to complain to. So the guy walks into the kitchen to complain to the chef and it's actually all robotic chefs. Um, so <laughs> afterwards they go back to their table and when they're checking out for payment and they're pretty unhappy, it actually says, how much do you want a tip? And they don't leave a tip. And then they get chased out of the restaurant by the robot. So, okay, wasn't a real life situation, but could it be one day? Um, it was actually a recent X-Files episode. X-Files came back for a couple of seasons in the last few years. And um, it's a fascinating look at where the world can really go. And, and those lessons, you know, even they're a bit funny and dreamy at times, are, are going to become very real. And some of them already have. So, I All right. There. That is not the answer I would have expected, but I love it. Uh -huh. Rick, do you have a, a more traditional answer or years along? You're going to say Star Trek or Star Wars or? So in terms of predicting the future, I'd stick with Star Trek more than Star Wars. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, David's response, I think is good. It's a fair point. Um, uh, in terms of, you know, what I would tell people to a, a book, you know, if yeah. I had to recommend book or one a podcast. book. Yep. Yeah, I, I'd say built to sell. Um it uh, it relates to a lot of the comments that I made to, made today. 
even if you don't think of yourself as somebody that read books, guaranteed you can get through that thing quick. It's an easy read and a valuable, valuable lesson. And what's the valuable lessons that you get uh, out of Built to Sell? Uh, you know, think about um, how how to increase the value of your business. Even if you don't intend on selling your business, the positive impacts that can have on you from a profit standpoint or an, a management uh, ability to manage your business standpoint. So it goes back to that repeatable process and that kind of decision-making change that uh, epiphany we had when we when we started to become an ISV. Got it. Great. So my last question is uh, from 1% to 100%, the chances that I'm going to see you at retail now August 2nd through 5th in Las Vegas. David? Well, I haven't missed one in over a decade. Um, so it's it's 110% for me. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing about it is that I learn from colleagues every single time I go. I meet some new people. Um, I, you know, I meet up with people that I've known for a long time. Every single time you're learning something new from all those experts around the industry that are there. And it's, to me, an indispensable event. So... 110% for me. All right, I 110%. Rick, two questions for you. First, did we win you over? Because early on, you were like, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this conversation or not. You're still, uh, the jury was out. Are you okay now? Are you better? Are you closer? Yeah, yeah. The, the Star Trek references, that, that improved things for me. So I like that. That's good. <laughs> nice. And what are the chances you're going to be at uh, retail now from 1% to 100%? Uh, well, since David's going, I, I'm going to go too, I guess. Nice. You'll see me there. Say hi to me if you see me there, if you're watching. Absolutely. Good. David is one of those eight players who is the magnet who draws uh, other people. So, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for the conversation. Really enjoyed talking with you today. And we hope our listeners enjoyed our discussion as well. If you did, please be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast, The More Stars the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at www.gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, uh, thanks again to David and Rick for sharing their wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA Marcom manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at www.gorspa.org. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>